I'm able to look back and see the great blessings that it's brought me. You know, I want to be the coach that I didn't have. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Ashley and I am so excited for today's episode as we continue on this series here with athletes and mental health. I have a pretty awesome guest with me here today, Leanne Passero. She's a former collegiate soccer player, currently a high school teacher and coach, and also the COO of The Hidden Opponent, which is a nonprofit advocacy group that raises awareness for student athletes, mental health, and addresses the stigma here within sports culture. So with that, Leanne, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me here. Hey, Ashley, thanks for having me. Really thrilled to be uh, having a conversation with you. For sure. So I want to dive in to all the work that you're doing with the hidden opponent and really just creating this space to amplify the voices of athletes just around the conversation of, of mental health. But first, would love if you would just share a little bit more you know, about yourself and your own journey with mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. My name's Leanne. I grew up in New Jersey. I played really elite club soccer growing up and I loved it, but I always really had this passion for academics too. So at 15, going to my sophomore year, I ended up going to um, a boarding school in New Jersey. I ended up loving it there, but you know, with that jump, it kind of was like I went to college a bit earlier than my peers. I was living on my own, you know, doing my own laundry for the first time and playing sports and whatnot. School on Saturdays, which is a crazy thing that people laugh at. But, you know, with that came a little bit of increased pressure. And I handled it pretty well through my sophomore year. I think my parents were actually shocked at how well I did with everything. But then my junior year, I was in the middle of my recruiting process and I was playing for one of the best teams in the country at the time, um, one of my teammates is currently in the NWSL, which is my biggest flex. And as a goalkeeper, I always laugh that she would score on me every day at practice. So that's, you know, my biggest claim to fame is that she's now scoring on the best goalkeepers in the world. But in the middle of all of this excitement and, you know, crazy junior year, I got a really bad concussion and it really debilitated me and really changed a lot for me. And with that, I saw an increase in, you know, mental health struggles, probably for the first time in my life. And as you hear so often, you know, high achieving, you know, students and high achieving children hit that point at some point where things get hard and they don't really know how to cope. And that was definitely my case. And I'd say what was different is that, you know, I was away from family and away from, you know, the people who probably could have helped me the most. So I kind of suffered in silence with, you know, both concussion physical symptoms and these emotional and mental symptoms that I, I didn't really know what to do with. But, you know, kind of found my way out of it through some therapy and some medication and, you know, the help of support systems. But then going to college, you know, we see just as life changes, those things come and go as well. So I ended up playing college soccer at Washington Lee University, a small D3 school in Virginia. And I had a really up and down college career and college experience in general. I love the academic experience that I got at WNL, but being um, an athlete, particularly for my college coach, was very, very difficult. And I saw an increase again in, you know, my own anxiety, my, you know, dislike for a sport that I loved. And it was just really hard to have this 
combative relationship, I'll say, with with my college coach and to navigate how to deal with that. Um, I worked for really difficult and hard coaches before, but this was kind of a very different level of, you know, a tough, toxic relationship. So, you know, my college career, as far as sports, did not end up the way I wish it would have. But I had a lot of great moments in there, too. And um, some of my favorite things about college were the things that I got to explore outside of soccer, which is great and has served me really well just getting into life. So I got to study abroad and I got to, you know, pick up rugby, which was awesome. And I studied abroad in Australia, which is where I picked that up. And um, I had a brief stint on the women's lacrosse team in college, which is hilarious because I hadn't played lacrosse in four years but their team had so many injuries that they just needed someone to stand in the goal and I volunteered to do it. So, you know, a lot of really great things came out of being a college athlete and the hidden opponent is definitely one of them too. So the hidden opponent is now my co-partner and I, Victoria Garrick run our nonprofit and we are really changing the game for student athletes. And it's, you know, a passion project and a labor of love, but we've been at it for about three years now. And we've seen incredible, incredible social growth and community building athletes all over the country, all over the world, joining in this mission and open to uh, break the stigma. So we're excited for what's sure to be another good year of it. And um, we'll see what comes next. For sure. I appreciate you just sharing that all. One of the first things that you said when you were playing through high school and you had a concussion during that time, right? Yeah. So in terms of your goals and wanting to play at the collegiate level, how do you think that affected you in that process? Because in listening on another podcast, something that stood out to me was that, you know, you had this dream of playing D1 in an Ivy League school. So I would love for you to just dive into that a little bit, the mindset shift that you experienced. Yeah, I love that you did your research. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, since I was a little kid, had this dream of going to Princeton, I'll say it. And my uncle went there and, you know, we grew up going to the Princeton P-Raids, they call them the parades. And I went to a boarding school just down the road from Princeton. So it just seemed like an easy fit for me. And um, two things happened. One, when I was a sophomore, kind of, you know, living my best life, having a great first year at at boarding school, someone from my hometown, um, Madison Holleran, died by suicide. And Madison Holleran was a senior when I was a freshman at our local public school. And she was someone that we all just really looked up to. I I can't describe it enough of, you know, it's just the senior that walks down the hall. And as a freshman, it's someone you want to be like. And Maddie ended up going to UPenn and running track. And when things got hard in her freshman year, um, she, you know, didn't know how to cope and died by suicide as a result. And, you know, Maddie had, Maddie had it all. She had, you know, the best family and friends and support system and boyfriend and teammates and everything you could want she had on the outside or so it seemed. And so that was a real wake up call, I'd say for me at 15 and 16 years old to see someone that I, frankly, I think we all really idolized fall off that pedestal, right? That we maybe had all put her on or that the media maybe had put her on. She was in the newspaper every other day in high school for track or soccer or both. So one, I think I realized that, and this isn't anti-Ivy League at all, but I think I realized that, you know, that isn't the end-all be-all. And I still have so many friends that are Ivy League athletes and that's amazing. But 
for me, it was a big wake up call of why do you want to chase this dream? And are you chasing this for the right reasons? That next summer, that was February of my sophomore year, that next summer, I went to the Princeton recruitment camp and I had a miserable time. I hated everything about it. I didn't like the campus. I didn't like the girls. I didn't like the coach. I didn't like anything, the things we were learning about with their training schedule or whatever. And I just was like, why have I decided that this is it when I, when I really haven't looked into other options. And then on top of all that, that's where I got the concussion is at this recruitment camp. So it was kind of just a terrible time all around. And I think I realized that that was, I say it was, you know, God's hand pushing me in a different direction. And I, I hate that it happened in that way, but um, I left camp early is how bad it was with the concussion too. I was like, mom can pick me up. I'm over it. Like we're not going here. And she was like, wow, that was fast turnaround. But yeah, I mean, then I'm entering my junior year. I'm seeing all my teammates, you know, go get their, their offers. And I think I was one of the last ones on my club team to settle where I landed. And there's a lot of pressure there when you see, X, Y, and Z people getting their recruitment over a year in advance of where I got mine. I wasn't fully set until towards the end of the fall of my senior year. And of course, you know, those girls were chasing big D1 schools that I had no interest in going to, but it's still hard to see them feel like they have their next step settled when, you know, I'm on that smaller D3 timeline. Cause I realized, you know, I wanted small class sizes. I wanted the ability to study abroad. I wanted the ability to be a person outside of my sport and do other things and do other clubs. So I figured out what kind of schools I wanted and narrowed it down from there. But it, it was definitely hard to realize that, you know, I'm on my own timeline. It's okay. And not compare to the other people in the room. So that resonates with me so much because it was the same thing with basketball where I was playing at an elite level as well. And then some things happened, but to your point of, I think it was into my senior year of not knowing where I was going to end up and just the different pressures. I think that we can all experience in that, which is kind of where I wanted to transition as well, just on the topic of mental health and performance pressure. And I know you spoke a little bit to the, the coach and player relationship, then getting into college. Could you just talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of tough stigma around, especially youth soccer coming out right now of really horror, horror stories coming out of coaches. But I was really blessed growing up through playing, you know, club soccer at the top level to have coaches that I felt really supported me as a human and as a student and as an athlete in particular, like one of my favorite coaches was the coach that I was terrified of at first and I didn't even want to play for his team. And my mom was like, I think you need to give him a chance. And he ended up being the biggest teddy bear pushed me so hard, but also just loved really hard too. So I was used to getting pushed hard and I played for all British, British male coaches or, or Scottish male coaches and um, never really had a problem with any of it until, you know, I got to college and, you know, I'm playing for another older British coach. And I thought, you know, I'm used to, I'm used to the humor. I'm used to the dry, sarcastic nature, but something about the way my experience was just was not quite right. Um, And it was, it was deeper and it cut deeper than the coaches that I had previously. And I, I just, it just, it just didn't feel like it was backed up by love. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I try to emulate as a coach is, you know, we can joke around, we can have fun and I'll, I'll jab fun at you if you, you know, airball a basketball or something. (laughs) But 
you know, they jab fun at me if I airball too, which is more often, but it's backed up by love more than anything else. And I think my, my athletes know that. So, you know, with that, I've always been my own biggest critic. I've always been very in my head. I was a soccer goalkeeper. So it's a very isolated position. It's a very mental position. It's something where half the, more than half the game, you're standing there by yourself thinking and anticipating and waiting. And there's a lot that can go on there. I never really saw my anxiety manifest in sports until I was in college and in that environment playing for that coach really. So even though I was having a ton of like anxiety and borderline, you know, depression type issues in high school, I never really saw it translate to the field. The field was much more of like a safe space and I could tune it out and just kind of be in my flow zone. But then in college I saw, you know, the fear of making mistakes creep up more and more. And as a goalie, if you're afraid of making mistakes, you're of course going to make mistakes. I mean, that's for true for every sport, but especially as a goalie, mistakes are very noticeable. So that definitely did not serve me well. And I felt like, you know, my college career was definitely hindered by it, whether that's because I was, you know, quote unquote, not mentally tough enough, or I just wasn't in an environment where I was allowed to thrive, you know, that might be up for grabs, but there's always, as you said, kind of the what if of, oh, like, what if I went somewhere else? Or could I have played D1? Should I have played D1? So I definitely let that get to me a little bit too, of should I be playing elsewhere? And would I be doing better if I played elsewhere? Yeah, we could spend forever thinking of those scenarios. So really hold on to this belief that what it is that is building within us is greater than the things that happen to us. And just how you were explaining that experience through college with your coach. And now you have this opportunity to be in this role where you can essentially impact the lives of youth that were in your position, you know, however many years ago. What's your approach knowing what it is that you experience and now how that can actually turn into something that's good and helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I I really do see my college soccer experience overall as net negative. But now that I'm separate from it, I have the wherewithal and, you know, I'm able to look back and see the great blessings that it's brought me. You know, I want to be the coach that I didn't have. And I am super fortunate too to have had that one year of lacrosse at Washington Lee playing for Brooke O'Brien, who's one of the best D3 coaches I think ever. And she was a complete different experience for me to play for. And that was, again, another moment of, you know, how did I end up on a lacrosse field? Well, maybe I ended up on that lacrosse field to see like what a really great coach looks like and what a really great team looks like. And it's no, no shock that that team is one of the best in the country, right? The girls played for her in a way that I had never seen before. And the girls played for each other in a way that I'd never seen before. And um, it was a really awesome experience to be able to be a part of it for a year. So, you know, I have this balance in my own experiences of different coaches. And I like to try to pull pieces from each one of them and kind of craft my own uh, approach. But I'd say, you know, the biggest thing I've seen this past year in or the past two years in coaching is just these kids are under so much pressure and it's, it's a lot self-induced or parents or college or whatever it might be. And, you know, some of these kids aren't even, you know, elite athletes or don't even have aspirations of playing in college. And there's still so much pressure 
from themselves or from, you know, whomever. And I really just try to bring like, I'm, I'm super competitive. I should start with that, but I really try to make it fun too. Cause it's high school, right. And it's high school sports and those competitive athletes can get their competition outside of outside of school too. You know, my, my lacrosse team for the last two years, I played, I coached at two different schools and both of them had historic seasons and championship teams. And that's like one of my biggest prides and joys and like highlight of my athletic career is that I coached two championship lacrosse teams at two different schools in two different, you know, totally different environments. And each time I was with a brand new other coach that we came in and turned a program culture around. So for me, it's really about culture more than anything. You know, I can teach you how to be a better goalkeeper, how to, you know, have a better shot or whatever it might be, but the things that stick, especially out of high school are, you know, the memories and the funny bus rides and whatnot. Um, and, you know, we hold them accountable and we hold them to, to standards, but we also love them and have a lot of fun. So it's always that balance. Yeah, that's so good. And I would love to go into the work that you're doing with Hidden Opponent and how that can play into just the current landscape right now in athletics, even at the high school level, but then also in the collegiate level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got involved with the hidden opponent literally right before COVID hit. So the landscape has shifted and changed way more than anyone could anticipate. And in weird ways, maybe it it has helped people be able to, you know, talk about things or I think a lot of people experienced tough times for maybe the first time, you know, hit that point of experiencing something tough for the first time, or a lot of people were able to explore themselves outside of their sports But, you know, there was so many unknowns of seasons being canceled and, you know, well, if this conference is having a season, should I transfer? And there's just so many crazy wild cards happening left, right and center. And I wasn't an athlete during it, which was I was super grateful for because I had graduated at that point. But then, you know, I'm hearing from all these people of all these different new experiences that, again, I can't even imagine. With that, of course, we've seen a real uptick of, you know, those mental health struggles. And I'd say this past spring, we had a really, really bleak string of student athletes that died by suicide. And, you know, for me, someone that's been in this sphere, I'm super comfortable talking about all these things. But even, you know, for me to just see it happen one after another was so bleak and disheartening. And I think I had to take some time away from just, you know, being on social media myself to kind of relax and recharge. But I think getting back to your original question, the hidden opponent, you know, while we've had to adapt and change with the landscape ourselves, we've done a really great job at just creating a community where people can express themselves, connect with one another and be authentic. And I don't think that people always feel that they can be their authentic selves in their locker rooms. I know for for a fact, I was very not open about, you know, the fact that I saw a counselor to my teammates who, you know, I think I've said this analogy before, like your teammates are the people that you are literally naked in front of like 24 seven every day. But like, you can't tell them that you have a counseling appointment after practice. Like it's, it's wild to me. Right. So that vulnerability level isn't always there. And I, I understand why, but the opponent has crafted a community where you can have that. So I'm really grateful for that. Definitely. And I think too, just having space to have these conversations, can we continue to talk about that? So it does, it, it creates this environment with what you you're doing with the hidden opponent, just like that, where it's like, it's okay to be here. And we all do struggle with things and you're not alone in it. And there's resources and there's help available. 
I will say the one thing that I've really noticed from this past year is, you know, I work with high schoolers um, and some middle schoolers and, you know, I kind of think they're, they're about 10 years younger than me. So, you know, that next generation type thing, they're more willing to talk about it. And that is, if anything, awesome. I have athletes come talk to me all the time and be like, I'm just having really bad anxiety today. I think I need a longer warm up, or I think I need to like take a breather or something. I'm like, okay, like, why don't you take another lap, chill out, do what you need to do to get ready to practice today, whatever it is. Right. Or, you know, my one little athlete is just like, yeah, today's hard. I'm feeling sad and I don't really know why, but that's okay. And I'm like, yeah, that is okay. Like that's normal, right? So we have these 14, 15, 16 year olds that can have the emotional maturity to like have these conversations, which is awesome. It's really just, you know, now getting those those resources in the hands of those who, who really need the resources. So I do like to think that COVID did really cause a lot of mental health struggles, but it also forced a lot of people to start talking about it for the first time. Absolutely. And that's exactly the work that you're, that you're part of. And so I really appreciate you, you know, coming on here and, and, and being so open. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was actually an awesome conversation. <laughs> this is great. Seriously. We keep talking for hours. Actually.